I was led astray. Okay, now we're on. Yeah. Pastor's asked me to preach the message tonight. And after I texted him back saying that I'd preach, I asked the Lord what to preach about and what came to mind is Psalm 23. So um, I thought this wouldn't be a very challenging, confronting message, but uh, it kind of has turned out that way. I entitled the message, obviously, The Lord is My Shepherd. And if I subtitle subtitle it, I'd call it The Believer's Security. We have security in the Lord our Shepherd. He provides everything for us. So without further ado, I'll get you to open to Psalm 23 and we'll start reading. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. So everybody should be familiar with this psalm. People probably could quote it from memory. This is the best loved psalm of all, the most well known. It is familiar to anybody who has any knowledge of Christianity or of the Bible. Words and phrases from it have become part of the English language, like my cup runneth over, the valley of the shadow of death, maketh me to lie down in green pastures. We're all familiar with it. And this is a popular choice for people at funerals. But no one can really claim it for their own unless they have believed that the Lord is indeed their saviour first and they've accepted him as their Lord and shepherd. It's interesting to note that Psalm 23 follows on from Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is clearly a messianic psalm describing the sufferings of Christ upon the cross. It is clearly seen that it says, they have pierced my hands and my feet. It's clearly of Christ. And many people don't accept Christ as their saviour, that he has died on the cross, was buried and was raised from the dead. So how can they claim Psalm 23 for their own? It's simply not possible. The great blessing spoken of in this psalm is that the Lord is our shepherd. There is no greater passage in all scripture describing the believer's security in Christ, our good shepherd. What we need is provision, guidance and protection. David, the psalmist, speaks of his absolute faith and confidence in Christ as the good shepherd and his promises for time, that is, in this life and for eternity. The last verse sums that up very well. So we get into verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
The name the Lord in capital letters, all capital letters, is always in the King James Bible translated, a translation of the word Jehovah, the self-existent or eternal one. This is the Jewish national name for God. The Lord Jesus Christ claims the title of the Good Shepherd in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Verse 14 of chapter 10 of John. I am the Good Shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. And we have the wonderful promises in John chapter 10, verses 27 to 29. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither all and no man is able to my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. We have the promise that we're in the hands of Jesus and we're also in the hands of the Father. The book of Ecclesiastes says that a twofold cord is not easily broken. And I would also add that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So it's impossible for any man, and man is in italics in the King James Bible, so it would say, Satan, all his evil angels, cannot pluck us out of our Saviour's hand, our Good Shepherd's hand. So we have eternal life and eternal security in Christ, our Good Shepherd. The next thing we read in Psalm 23 is that we shall not want. This means we shall not lack. This doesn't mean that we're going to have everything that we want. We have to read the the Bible in balance. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says, withdraw from those who think that gain is godliness. He reminds us later on that godliness with contentment is great gain. And further on he reminds us, having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. So this is not a get-rich-quick scheme that the Lord is involved in. We're not going to get superabundance of money. Paul reminds us that the love of money is the root of all evil. But we have the promise in Philippians chapter 4, 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So we'll have our need met. And if we have food and raiment, we should be content. So we see from verse 1, we have security in the supply of our needs in Christ who is our good shepherd. Moving on to verse 2, we read, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. This indicates to me that we'll have good spiritual nourishment. It also means, I believe, that we should be content where the Lord has placed us. Because you could be tent with this church, 
if the Lord has placed you here and you know that he has placed you here. I made a choice to lie down in these green pastures and not remove myself from here. I recently spoke to a man who chose to move on from here and go to another church near here. And his reasoning was that if you weren't always walking in the victory here, you wouldn't be accepted. And they showed him more grace in, the, in his new church. He emphasised that grace. And he loved it there. I think if the Lord moves you on, you move, but not for weak reasons like this man had. I believe that uh, nobody from here should go to a church like that. It's an apostate church, quite frankly. Satan doesn't come into a church through the front door. I was speaking to a brother about this, talking about this church. He doesn't come through the front door announcing that he's going to come in and corrupt the church. He comes in at the back door or a small opening. He'll come through the music ministry, get his man in the, in the music ministry or the youth group leader and he'll corrupt the youth. So the new generation coming through are corrupted. Thus he can gradually take over the whole church. So I think we should stick with the church that the Lord has placed us in and I believe we get good spiritual nourishment here. We have a pastor who labours in the word and prayer and is worthy of double honour. We also read, He leadeth me beside the still waters. The margin of my Thompson Chain Reference Bible says, this means waters of rest in the Hebrew. A note in my Henry Morris Study Bible says, these are not stagnant waters, but rather are turbulent waters made still at the Lord's command. This reminds me of the time when Jesus stilled the stormy waters of the Sea of Galilee for his disciples in Mark chapter 4, verse 39. He just stood up and said, peace be still. So we can have peace and rest where the Lord has placed us because we should keep close to the good shepherd in this church. And in verse 3, moving on, we read, He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The Lord is in the business of restoring people's souls. But this is a process and we need to cooperate with him on a daily basis. It's not an overnight thing. The Lord's been working on me for the last 10 years I've been in this church. Am I perfect yet? No. Am I really mature? No. But according to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, we'll be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And only by that we can prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of the Lord. We need to daily meditate in the Word, spend time in prayer. It changes us, come to church, listen to the Word of God, be in fellowship, receive rebuke, from other brothers receive correction and as we walk in the Christian life he'll set us free from the bondage of sin and bad habits set our will free 
in Christ we're set free from the power of sin. We don't have to sin if we don't want to. We know we continue to sin, but he gives us the victory. He also heals our emotions. He is healing me of a root of bitterness. I know I have a bitter root. I didn't have a particularly good upbringing. So um, we all need this. So he restores our mind, sets our will free, he heals our emotions. That is, he restores our soul. And as we go on, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leadeth us in right paths. He doesn't lead us in crooked paths. It mightn't be the most direct route to where he wants to take us. As we consider the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt, they didn't go directly to the promised land. He led them into the wilderness and formed them into a, a nation that had laws, that had an order, that had leaders, that were organised into armies. He taught them how to fight. The thing about the Lord Jesus when he leads, he leads gently. We read in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 11. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. So if we feel that we are pushed and urged on and driven, it's probably not the Lord. The Lord doesn't use sheepdogs. Sorry, Robin. He doesn't use unclean animals to drive his flock. He leads from the front. He doesn't lead us anywhere he hasn't been himself. He has been to the cross. He knows suffering. But he'll lead us in the paths of righteousness, in the the ways of peace. And we'll find out in the end that his will is good and acceptable and perfect. So we see here that we have security for our souls. We have healing and restoration for our souls and guidance in decision making. He'll go the way before us and reveal the will of God in our lives progressively. As we are obedient and follow, he'll lead and reveal more of his will as we are able to stand it. I look back on my life if I had known all the things I was going to go through when I accepted Christ, I might have doubted following him. So, moving on to verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. We see in this verse that everything changes. Everything before was sweetness and light. It was easier to follow the Lord. But now the Lord leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. And this separates the carnal Christian from those who want to go on for the Lord and become spiritually minded. 
if the Lord leads this way, can we actually say, honestly say, yea, Lord, even if you lead me this way, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. What is this valley of the shadow of death? Where else is it mentioned in the Bible? The shadow of death is mentioned ten times in the book of Job, four times in Psalms, and four times in the prophets. So I thought we'd spend a bit of time in Job, because it's mentioned there ten times. We all know that Job suffered terribly, unimaginable suffering and loss. What exactly did he suffer? What did he lose? In one day, he suffered the loss of his livelihood, all his possessions, that is, all his cattle and livestock. Three disasters happened to them. The Sabians came, lightning destroyed others, and the Chaldeans came and stole the rest. So he was destitute. Sometimes we suffer financial hardship through no fault of our own. It might be sickness or ill health, such as in my case. Then in the same day, he lost his children. For this, it might necessarily be our children. It might be a loved one, a mother or father, a brother or sister. It might be an aunt and an uncle. All this constitutes a valley of the shadow of death. Then sometime later for Job, he lost his health. Satan smote him with severe balls from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. He probably couldn't even stand up. He found it difficult sitting. He sat down on an ash heap to cushion himself. And he scraped himself with a pot shirt. He's probably oozing pus. He probably had it all over his face as well as all over the crown of his head. He would have looked ugly. He probably would have smelled. He wouldn't want to go near him. So ill health can come upon us and people might avoid us and say that we don't look right. We look ugly. We smell. The smell of death might be around us. And then his own wife turned against him and urged him to curse God and die. This speaks of a separation with his wife. He lost her love and compassion. So things are really getting serious for Job here. This really is getting quite serious for him. And then after this, his three closest friends arrive. Instead of comforting him, they start criticising and judging him. The people he thought would encourage him and comfort him start judging him pointing the finger and saying, it's all your fault, there is sin in your life. Where God never 
in the book of Job says anything against Job, that he was a sinner, even though as a human being he was. He charged error and fault with his three friends. So if we ever see somebody going through the valley of shadow of death, we should be very, very careful what we say to them. We should be very, very careful because it might go into them very, very deeply and wound them. All these things are called the shadow of death. And the strategy of Satan is to get us, like he did with Job, to curse God to his face and to die. I find it almost impossible to believe that Job wasn't tempted to take his own life. This is a common strategy with Satan. I was listening to the radio recently about Fiji, an idyllic tropical paradise, where you'd think there'd be peace and everything would be fine. But I learned on the radio that suicide is very high in Fiji, an idyllic tropical paradise. How much more so in a westernised country like Australia or any other western country that suicide is on the rise, mental illness is on the rise and it can affect Christians. They can suffer mental illness going through any of these things. Loss of their livelihood, loss of loved ones, loss of their health, your wife turning against you, separation from your loved ones and then your friends pointing the finger and you've got nobody to turn to by the station I live nearby there's a sign it says who cares about you we do, lifeline sure sure they do it for money it's their, it's their profession I thank God that in, in the church we can ask our brothers and sisters for counsel. We can go to pastor for counsel. We can pray. We can pray about our, our problems if we're going through the valley of the shadow of death. And prayer changes things. It really does. We shouldn't think that we're all alone, that nobody cares for us. So if Satan can't get us to curse God and die, he'll try to get a Christian to deny the faith, deny Christ. And as a man I spoke to you about before, get you to go to an apostate church where it'll be easier. You'll love it there. They'll be more gracious to you. If he can't do that, he'll get you to backslide, not go anywhere. That was me years ago. I was backslidden for years because I couldn't find a good church I spent years in the wilderness I kept going back to Pentecostal churches because that's all I knew before that I knew the Catholic church I didn't know 
independent Baptist churches existed. And if you're in a good church and you're going through the valley of the shadow of death and you don't want to do any of the things I've already mentioned, Satan can't get you to do that. He'll get you to become bitter and unfruitful in your Christian life. You'll stay here, but you won't be part of the church. You'll withdraw. You'll come here. You'll sit down. And you'll leave straight away. That was me for the first 18 months of my time here. I'd leave straight away. I'd come sit here and I'd go. And I'd only come on mainly a Sunday morning. I'd rarely come on a Sunday night, rarely come on a Wednesday evening. And that was me for the first 18 months of my time here. But the good news is that the fa- the last time the shadow of death is mentioned in the Old Testament is in Amos 5 verse 8 where we read that God is able to turn the shadow of death into morning, into the morning. We read elsewhere in the, in the Bible that the mercies of God are new every morning. Though weeping may endure for the night, Joy comes in the morning. We have confidence in Christ that joy will come in the morning. The Lord is returning soon. As Pastor Shemesh told us on Sunday evening, we should have confidence that even if the Lord doesn't bring us out of that shadow of death in this life, that everything would be made right in the next. As I thought on this, I thought about the three friends of Daniel in the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who refused to bow down and worship the image that the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And we should have the same attitude that Satan, if Satan comes to tempt us to curse God and die or do any other of the things that I mentioned. We should simply say, Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. The only way we can resist Satan is to submit to God. In the book of James it said, Submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. If we follow the Lord through our own valleys of the shadow of death, even if it means physical death, like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego faced in the fiery furnace through persecution, if the Lord does not save us, He doesn't heal us. He doesn't save our loved one. He doesn't heal our loved one. If our friends are not restored to us, or if our financial prosperity is not restored, then we should just continue to trust the Lord, our shepherd. And I I really believe that the Lord 
will ultimately bring everyone who's going through the valley of the shadow of death through it. It mightn't be in our timing, but he will bring us through it. Not in the way that we think. He may give us the grace to go through that, to continue to go through it. The next thing we read in this, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So as we go through the valley of the shadow of death, we should be aware that the Lord is with us all the way through it. He is there. All we have to do is recognise him with us and recognise that thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. It may seem a strange way to comfort us with the rod and the staff. Our shepherd's rod and staff are meant to be sources of comfort, protection and guidance for us. We all need the ministry of the Lord in correction, chastening and guidance. We shouldn't fear it, nor should we grow weary of it. We shouldn't faint when we are corrected. We shouldn't despise it. And so I had enough of this. I'm getting out of this church. I'm not walking in the victory. So I go somewhere where it's a bit easier and claim that it's, they show me more grace. The chastening of the Lord shows his love and care for us, as it says in Hebrews chapter 12. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. The margin of the Bible says exercise means being trained. In the book of James it says, The trying of our faith worketh patience. And that patience have its perfect work that you might be complete and entire, lacking nothing. As you go through the valley of the shadow of death and you are chastened by the rod and staff of the shepherd, it is meant to yield the peaceable fruits of righteousness, righteousness and to bring you to maturity, stability, that you be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. So because the Lord is with us through the valley of the shadow of death, we can be sure of security through that. The Lord is with us and will protect us. The rod and the staff that he might use to comfort us, chasten us, can be used against the enemy. The enemy of the sheep in the Middle East are the wolves, the bears and the lions. Read about David, he killed the bear and the lion with his bare hands. We notice that the wolves attack in packs. The bear charges, can barely be turned away. If you know anything of the grizzly bear in North America, they can sustain 
tremendous amount of bullets and still keep charging. And a lion is the strongest among beasts and turneth not away from any. Only the Lord really ultimately can deal with our enemies. A pack of wolves, you can't, you can't overcome that. They attack you from every side. A bear will just keep on charging and a lion won't turn away for anything. So we can have security in knowing that our shepherd is with us. And we could have comfort even in our death. If the Lord wills it, we shouldn't face death with terror. Because the sting of death is dealt with in the Lord Jesus Christ. The sting of death is sin. And we as Christians have that sting dealt with. The sting of sin is unconfessed and unforgiven sin. So we have confidence even if we face death. So I spent a bit of time on verse 4, the valley of the shadow of death. But I believe if we want to move on to verse 5, we all need to go through our experiences of verse 4, through our valley of the shadow of death. Because if we go through those things, then we're prepared for verse 5, which speaks of the abundant Christian life. It reads, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Even people in the world use that phrase, my cup runneth over, jokingly when they pour too much wine into their glass or too much coffee into their cups. We see here that our shepherd prepares the table before us in the presence of our enemies. This speaks of all the spiritual blessings we have in Christ in this life because they are available when our enemies are present. It's in the presence of our enemies. It speaks of this life. In eternity, the devil and his evil angels and all our human enemies will have been consigned to the lake of fire. So with our shepherd present, even with our enemies surrounding us, trying to get at us, we can enjoy all these blessings in peace and security. We can have these blessings in this place, in our house, in our homes, in our workplace, in our schools, and though Satan try to get at us, and though there's the danger of anti-Christian legislation being passed by our parliaments, we can have confidence in our good shepherd. Does that mean we shouldn't pray about it? No, it doesn't. We should pray about it. We should pray against our enemies. The next thing we read, Thou anointest my head with oil. Shepherds in the time of David would anoint their sheep's heads 
to soothe any, soothe any scratches or wounds. This speaks of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to comfort us and to bring healing and restoration to our souls and spirits. The anointing of, of oil speaks of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. This speaks of the power of the Holy Spirit to do ministry and service. And the only way we're going to get this anointing is via verse 4, through the valley of the shadow of death. So when we consider all the benefits and blessings we have in Christ, our Good Shepherd, we can rejoice and exclaim, My cup runneth over. We read in the Bible, in Ephesians, that God hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. We have abundance of God's grace, an abundance of every good work, an abundance of consolation. We have abounding love. In Ephesians, Paul prays for the church that they would come to comprehend the love of God that surpasses knowledge, the length, the breadth, the depth and the height. It's limitless. And we have an abounding and thankful faith. Our faith should be growing. Our thanks to God should be abounding that he has blessed us with all these blessings. So we see here in verse 5, we can praise and bless the Lord that we have everything we need to live a victorious and an abundant Christian life on this earth in the presence of our enemies. We can do this in peace and security. If you ever get away from our shepherd, if you ever get away from the place he has placed us, then we get ourselves into danger. But even then, the good shepherd will leave the 99 and go after the straying sheep until he's found it and brings it back. If you backslide and get away from the Lord, he'll always go back and bring you back. And this finally brings us to verse 6. And it reads, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we have in this life, on this, on this earth, all the days of our life, that we have goodness and mercy following us. And not only that, we have an eternal home in heaven. The Lord Jesus has promised us he has gone to prepare a place for us. It's a new Jerusalem. And in his father's house there are many mansions. So from this verse we can see that the word of God promises us security for this time and for all eternity. No other religious system or system of belief can make such promises. They don't even try. The Catholic Church can't promise you anything like this. They've got no surety that they'll go to heaven or they can promise you that you can go to purgatory 
and be purged of your sins there and then go to heaven. Or if you pay them enough money, you'll get to heaven. Muslims have got no surety that Allah would let them into heaven. No other religious system can promise you that if you do enough good works that you'll get to heaven or their version of heaven. So in conclusion, I just state that because the Lord is our shepherd, we have the following benefits. In verse 1, security of provision. All our needs met in Christ. In verse 2, we have security of spiritual food and water. The word of God. In verse 3, we have security for our souls, restoration and guidance. He restores our souls and guides us through our life. We needn't be troubled by worry and anxiety. And in verse 4, we have security through trials, going through the valley of the shadow of death, because our Lord is with us. And in verse 5, we have security in an abundant life. We have all the spiritual blessings we need to live this life upon the earth. And finally, in verse 6, as I said, we have security in time, in this life and for all eternity. So I just conclude in a word of prayer. I just pray, Heavenly Father, that you help us to know and understand that the Lord Jesus Christ is indeed our shepherd, that he is with us wherever we go, whatever we do. And he will never leave us nor forsake us. And he will bring us safe to our eternal home in heaven. I just pray, Lord, that you'd help me that uh, whatever I've said that is not of you would be forgotten, that, uh, that though this uh, message, I didn't have that much time to prepare as I would have liked, I just pray that you'd take it and bless it to the people and strengthen them, edify, comfort and encourage them. Those who are going through the valley of the shadow of death in their own circumstances, you'd bring them out, comfort them and encourage them. And, Lord, that your will might be done in this church. We might glorify you and praise you and do your will. Because I know, Lord, that your will is always good and acceptable and perfect. In Jesus' name, amen.